Um, so let us start. Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. Let us together read the collect for today. Almighty God, whom truly to know is everlasting life, grant us so perfectly to know your Son, Jesus Christ, to be the way, the truth, and the life, that we may steadfastly follow his steps in the way that leads to eternal life, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Let's have the first reading, and it is from Acts 26 to 40. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, get up and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Cadace, queen of Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up, ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you're reading? He replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb, silent before his shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with the scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. And they were going along the road. They came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Astus, and as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Thank you. And yeah, may we have the, the gospel, the gospel of St. John, chapter 15. Reading from John 15, 1 to 8. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit, by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered 
thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. Thank you, Betty. So, first let me tell you how fortunate we in the Holy Land feel that this is the Bible land. This is the land of the Bible. And as someone once said, when we read the Bible, it's like receiving a letter from home because it's all so familiar around us, the landscape, the places, the Gaza, and the vine, the image of the vine. So we really are very fortunate and perhaps it makes us feel very close to Jesus who lived here and saw what we see now, I mean, the same landscape, the same situation, Jesus lived under occupation. Now, when I read the, the first passage from Acts of the Apostles, I thought of Gaza, the road to Gaza. I mean, and what do you know about Gaza? You all know in what sad situation Gaza is these days and the road to Gaza. And the, the passage from Isaiah especially struck me as being like an image from today, like sheep led to slaughter, that I can see all the laborers who are being led through very narrow passages, like sheep, like herds, they are herded through and they are silent and they don't open their mouth because they want to go to work and put bread on the table for their children. It says in his humiliation, justice was denied him. Yes, in our humiliation, humiliation, justice is denied us. And who can describe his generation? But first let's go to Philip. Now Philip had been to Samaria and Philip is one of the 12. And we know that at that time it was very difficult to go to uh, people who belong to a different race, to a different religion, and to give them whatever news. But Philip and the other disciples, and later Peter and John, broke out of the old mold because they had been filled with the Spirit and they were in obedience to Jesus. So Philip had been to Samaria, to the Samaritans, and we know that there was an enmity between the Jews and the Samaritans. And he preached and he bore fruit and he baptized many people and many people came to the Lord and believed and they heard the gospel and believed. So this is the second time that Peter was called and the passage tells us that an angel of the Lord said to Philip, get up and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And he did. It was a difficult road at that time. Of course, now it is much more inhabited with people. It is much friendlier, but still it's a long way. And I mean, nobody these days goes to Gaza. Actually, we cannot go to Gaza because we don't have permits to go to Gaza. We only hear the sad news about Gaza and it is getting worse and worse. And also the passage tells us that the angel told him to go and meet this Ethiopian. And also that makes us think of the Ethiopian Jews who have been brought from Ethiopia, but not treated as equals with the other citizens of Israel. So they have a problem too, because of their race, because of the color of their skin. But Philip obeyed. So he was going to meet with an alien, just as in Samaria, he met with enemies. And this was not a common thing to do, but he, th this he did and the other disciples as well in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this Ethiopian had, the passage tells us that this Ethiopian had been coming back from was on his way back from Jerusalem, where he was on a pilgrimage, and that he was reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. So one would think, I don't know, and maybe others can help me, but it seems that this man was on his way to being converted, to becoming a believer, to being converted to Judaism, because otherwise, why would he have been to the temple? To, for on a pilgrimage and to pray. And why was he reading the book of Isaiah? Because he wanted to know more. And let us remember that at that time, Christianity had not yet broken 
from Judaism, it was just one religion, but the people of the way, as they used to be called, believed in Jesus and followed him. It was much later that it became a different religion, a new religion. But at this time, Philip was uh, Jewish and the Ethiopian was on his way to become converted and he wanted to know more. So this is also very striking. And then he went into, they, they both went down to the water and the eunuch was baptized. And tradition has it that the eunuch went back to Ethiopia and he baptized the queen of Ethiopia. And maybe that is how Judaism and later Christianity were introduced to Ethiopia. So this is a picture. This is a, a very beautiful story. And most of all, it tells us about the power that the disciples had after they received the spirit to go and tell, to go and explain. So he explained to the eunuch about Jesus, about the gospel of Jesus. And we don't know after that because Philip disappeared and we know that he went on his way to Caesarea and the eunuch must have gone home to Ethiopia and spread the word. So actually it's a very beautiful story and um, we, can, we can imagine the whole thing as if it is a, a scene from a film in front of our eyes. But I was really captivated. Of course, I had read this passage before from the gospel, but I do love this passage. And again, when we talk about the vine, it is so much Palestine, so much close to our hearts. And you know, it, it brought me back to my childhood when every home in Palestine, there weren't so many apartment buildings at that time, but every home had a garden, even if it was a small garden, around the house, and the vine was an essential part of that garden. Every porch, every little garden in front of the house had a vine, and the image of the families, especially in the evening, sitting peacefully under the vine is such a beautiful memory. The first house, I mean, where I was born in Haifa had this vine, and it was like a sacred time in the evenings when the family got together and sat under, under the vine. Also, it brings to mind the prophecy or the vision of the prophet Micah. Micah had a vision of peace and it was such a simple vision. And he says, you know, when he says, um, uh, they, shall, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. But then he says, and each man, and we might add, and woman shall, shall dwell under his or her own vine. Every man and woman shall dwell under his or her own vine, under his own fig tree, undisturbed, undisturbed. Such a simple image of peace. People just want to sit peacefully in front of their homes under the vine or under the fig tree or the olive tree, undisturbed. But I mean, this image, is receding and it's fading away. No longer can the people in the countryside especially sit undisturbed under their vines and under their pictures. This is very sad. Besides, you know, the, the vineyards, especially near Hebron, uh, are, being, uh, are being destroyed. I mean, people live from those vineyards and they've been tending the vineyards and it's hard work all, all their lives and maybe they're their parents before them and grandparents. And now the settlers just attack those vineyards and they destroy them and they attack the olive groves and they destroy them. Back to the gospel. Jesus was with the disciples and maybe they had entered the temple in his last days. And he says, I am the true vine. Not only the vine, I am the true vine. And my father is the, vin the vine grower. So why did Jesus say the true vine? At that time in the Old Testament, the vine was the symbol of the people of Israel. But he, and, and, and God had entrusted his purpose to the people of Israel, but they went astray as the Bible tells us. And as they are doing today, I might add. So Jesus says, I am the true vine, meaning that the purpose of God is being fulfilled in me, his son, Jesus Christ. 
And Jesus continues, he says, he removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. And we know that the wood of the vine cannot be used for anything, not like the olive tree. So much can be done from olive wood. But when the vine is pruned, and you know, this is a familiar sight for me, you know, owners of those vines pruning them and collecting the wood and throwing it into the fire. This is the only thing that can do with it. But the pruning of the vines, I mean, I saw my parents do it. I saw my neighbors do it. Everybody does it here. It's a very familiar, familiar scene. But every branch that's not bare fruit is removed from the vine. And every branch that bears fruit, yeah, he, is also pruned. It is pruned to make it bear more fruit. And here we can imagine that Jesus is talking about even those people who are in Christ and who are doing the work of Jesus sometimes face pain, but they bear this pain because from this pain comes more abundant fruit and um, their, their deeds will blossom and will bear fruit. And Jesus also says, I mean, every line in this passage is so beautiful. You, he tells his disciples, you have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Just being with Jesus and hearing his words. He also said this to Peter when Peter told him, no, no, you will not wash my feet. But Jesus said, although you have been cleansed, I'm not going to wash all of you, but I will wash your feet. Meaning that you have been with me, you have heard my words and my words have cleansed you. Now, those are the next, the next verse, verse four, is very, very important. I, and I think it is the core of what it means to be Christian. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Now, if we notice, Jesus did not say, I am the stem or I'm the trunk of the vine and you are the branches. Jesus said, I am the vine, I'm the whole vine and the branches are in the vine, dwelling in the vine. So th this is the meaning of I abide in you and you abide in me. It's a mutual indwelling of a Christian in Jesus and Jesus in us. This is the formula. This is the power, this is the secret that makes Christians bear fruit. And last week we were talking about what it means to call on the name of Jesus and to pray in the name of Jesus. So this gives us a frame. Only those who are in Jesus and Jesus in them can ask in his name or call in his name and he will answer because, because they have they have merged their will with the will with the will of God. So what they ask for and what they pray for is the same as what God desires, what Jesus desires, and it works. I find this very, very beautiful and very important that Jesus said, I am the vine, the whole vine, and the branches are in the vine. And the and the fruit and the sap of the vine, what flows in the in the stem of the vine also flows in the branches of the vine. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. How true, how true. No matter how much we try, if we put ourselves in the center of our lives or in the center of what we are doing, it, it will not bear fruit. And we cannot, we cannot honestly call on the name of Jesus. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, how many times he says this? If you abide in me and my words about abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, because what you wish then will be what I wish, and it will be done for you. And the fruits of our wishes, the fruit of your wish and my wish, is that the Father will be glorified and everything we do and ask in his name is for the glory of the Father.
Now, this saying, I am the vine, is the seventh statement from Jesus about his own person, you know, beginning with, I am the bread of life. And then later he says, I'm the light of the word, of the world. I'm the door of the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the, and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. And I am the true vine. Every one of them, I mean, if we, if we just meditate and reflect on every one of them, it tells us who Jesus is and what he is about and what it means to be a follower of Jesus and in obedience with Jesus and in love with Jesus, loving Jesus. Um, this is what I, you know, what drew my, drew my attention as I read the two passages. And I would now turn to you to help me, to help me and, and each other to bring out of this passage as much as we can and to give meaning to this beautiful passage, being or dwelling in Jesus and Jesus dwelling in us and not like the branches who are separated, separated from the vine and try to work uh, outside, outside of, of this beautiful communion. So I call on you to give me your thoughts, give us all our thoughts and let's talk about those two passages. Thank you. Thank you, Auntie Um mm -hmm. If it's, um, we encourage everybody to participate. Um, you may do it by raising your hand or typing in the chat that you'd like to talk. Raising your hand either virtually or, um, or physically if the camera is on and I would be, I hope to spot you. I'd like to also say welcome to Assis Naeem. He Please has joined us. us. Yes. As a so he can participate if he, if he raises his hand. You are on mute, Assis. Yes, Assis. Yeah. Sorry, I'm not with you. But we you did are. not have it. Now I am. <laughs> but we have, we did not have internet because we just we are moving and we just now got the internet uh, in the apartment. And so I was able, so I, I did not hear uh, Cedar's uh, reflections, but I will try to, to get it somewhere and listen to it. But uh, thank you, thank you Cedar, thank you Omar for, I mean, this is a beautiful passage. Very so beautiful. Hopefully, hopefully you will have the, a good discussion at this time. Yeah. And I am very anxious just to listen. And um, I'm very grateful because we tried to get the, uh, the AT&T to come earlier, but they couldn't. And so they just- uh, Because we prayed connected. for you, Assis. Thank and you. And when we prayed thank for you. Thank you, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. So thank I'm you. very glad to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so- um, Yes, Devi. Thank you um, uh, for allowing me the floor. First of all, Sister Cedar, I just wanted to say thank you, um, genuinely, not a British polite thank you. Uh, the dignity and the respect of the Holy Spirit. And again, um, I say it respectfully as a younger sister. Um, uh, I want to be sensitive in what I'm saying. Um, because you never know a person until you've walked in their shoes. And again, I'll go back to what I was saying before. It might seem simplistic to, to go back to the Bible, to go back to the Lord Jesus, to go back to his blood. But I didn't want to put it in the chat box, but the verse that came to me was a verse that came to, was Isaiah um, 26, um, 43. Uh, I think it's 43, but 26 something but remaining focused on God uh, through the thick and the thin. God is in control. He is on the throne and he is allowing what's happening for his reasons in his plan of redemption. 
and the wheat is being separated from the chaff. And it isn't everyone who says, Lord, Lord, that will come to him. And so I know this might seem easy to say, but although we're all asked to bear our cross, and some soil bears 30-fold, some soil bears 60, some soil bears 100-fold, you might not understand this, but in a way, you are privileged to know the sufferings of Christ in your everyday living, in, as you say, the humiliation, the injustice, um, and it goes on and it's every day, every day, and it grinds away at you and it grinds you down. But it's in our weakness that God's strength is, is great and his grace is sufficient for us. I, that's really all I wanted to share, nothing new or different, but just an encouragement. Thank you. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Um, I would like to use the opportunity that few people are taking them time to, to share the reflections. What I really love is the question that um, uh, um, uh, um, from the book of Acts, um, as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? What a beautiful sentence. You know, it's a question that it is, it's what prevents me from um, joining the movement. Immediately he, he's, I mean, he just read about Jesus dying on the cross, the persecution. There's so many challenges for the early followers. And then this is the question. There's a question with excitement. There's also excitement before when Philip just jumps um, on uh, um, um, jumps on the um, chariot and and starts engaging. There's so much excitement and energy that sometimes we don't feel it in the church. We find much political correctness. When we ask people, you know, it is join us in the cause of justice, um, in the cause of liberation, they ask the same question, but not with the same meaning. They say, what stops us from joining the, the movement? Or oh, we might be labeled as uh, anti-Semitic, or we might be labeled as, you know, this might create problems with our interfaith dialogue. What is the major difference between, I mean, um, the tone in asking the question? The second part is that, um, um, although I live in a, an area that doesn't have a garden, but we're privileged to also to have a vine. And something that I really, um, since we had children, um, we started to cut the vine because it's, it was creating two problems. One thing, it was um, um, attracting lots of bees and lots of, uh, and snakes would come from the next door to our area. And because we have children, we're more worried. So it's the best solution is to cut it. It, sell, it solves the problem of uh, mosquitoes, bees, um, uh, snakes, or scorpions coming into the garden. And next, and every year it comes back again much stronger and much bigger. So I think cleaning the, the vine and fixing it is not only for the fruits, it's also for keeping it healthy. And unfortunately, many of our churches are not healthy today. We know that they're sick. Um, even the church leaders know that they're sick whether with how many members they have or what uh, within the internal disputes and challenges. Yet they refuse to cut. They refuse to do the right thing to maintain. I think that's, um, they need to be, as church, we need to follow Jesus. And that's important. I see um, Megan has raised his hand. Uh, thank you, Omar. I, I'm interested to know what Naim thinks. Uh, I'm looking at uh, the first reading and looking at verse 39, uh, when he says, When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. So here we have a, a situation where the, the eunuch is being baptized in the water and Philip is being snatched away by the Spirit. I wonder how people read that. Thank you. Thank you, um, Megan. Is Assis with us? He wants Assis to answer. Or, or could oh, anybody, anybody. Yeah. But to me, it means that the, Philip has done his work and he has other work to do. 
So the eunuch has to continue the journey. I mean, the, the, the physical and the intellectual journey, his search by himself. He has been baptized and Philip showed him that the prophet is talking about Jesus. He told, this was the main question. Who is he talking about? About himself or about someone else? And Philip showed him the way and explained to him that this passage is about Jesus. And then he left him to continue thinking and meditating and searching by himself. Because Philip's job had been done and he has other work to do and he continues on his work. Now, whether to take it literally that he was snatched away and he disappeared, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I think uh, Auntie Cedar, maybe because it's um, when he went to Samaria and he started baptizing, um, the bishops of Jerusalem at that time got panicked yeah. and they went into Peter and uh, um, and James went into Samaria and they said, no, we need to rebaptize you and confuse the people. Peter and John, yeah. So maybe he, when he baptized them, he ran away before the bishops from Jerusalem come back again. And create <laughs> <theology>. <laughs> Could be. Could be Omar. <laughs> That's possible. Valerie? Sorry, I, I, was, um, I was quite struck with this, that, uh, that receiving the Holy Spirit in baptism is sufficient for a man to have a huge influence um, when, you know, the scriptures weren't even written down. Um, mm -hmm. And yet he, could, he, he had that direct strength of the Holy Spirit in him to, uh, to go forth rejoicing. Um, and I think sometimes we're a bit overcautious with um, with young young and new Christians that uh, that we we think you know we need to keep them on the clear path, whereas you know we actually praying for them and praying for the Holy Spirit to really be present to them is is maybe where where we should be. And um, uh, I think Teresa of Avila. Um, wrote about how the Holy Spirit was sufficient for her when she was being um, punished and, and deprived of any reading material at all. Um, thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, Joyce? Uh, from the story as we as we have it, um, the Ethiopian was going south. And it's quite likely that Philip needed to go back north again. So he would have gone around the back of the chariot, and we don't know how straight or crooked the road was that he was on, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but he might quite easily have disappeared from view mm -hmm. quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. I just wondered whether that's had anything to do with that idea. Mm -hmm. But he was going on foot. I mean, what is remarkable is that the Ethiopian yeah. was in a chariot and in a royal chariot. Philip was on foot, but he still went on his way. And we, the passage tells us that he ended up in Caesarea, which is a long, long way away, knowing the distances here. But it's north, isn't it? Um, Caesarea, yeah. Caesarea is near Haifa, which is in the yes. north of Israel now. And yes. uh, he was in Gaza, so he was going north. True. Yes. So he turned, as you say, he turned and, and yeah. It's quite possible what you are saying. He turned around and the chariot went quickly on its way. So the Ethiopian lost sight of Philip. Um, thank you. Um, Betty? Thank you. This is just a really powerful group of her portions of scripture. And I want to go back to one of the comments that Cedar made um, when she talked about how last week we talked about uh, calling on the name of the Lord. And mm -hmm. I spoke briefly to that. 
mm -hmm. uh, when our grandson in Canada was healed so miraculously mm -hmm. and we were in Africa. And then they brought our, our son, our daughter and son-in-law brought our grandson to Africa to be dedicated to the Lord. And during that time, um, th for the dedication feast, three sheep were slaughtered. And they were slaughtered right on the yard where we lived. And the local people uh, dug a hole. And then each of the three sheep was taken separately and placed over top of that hole. Their throat was slit and the blood drained into the hole. Mm -hmm. And then there was, uh, there was no uh, struggle of the sheep. There was no noise. And mm -hmm. all the blood just spilled into that hole. And in the end, that meat fed 300 plus people who were gathered from across many nations who also had come to Lesotho to do a work of many different faiths. And in this act of healing that God had done eight months earlier, a little child actually was the reason for the gathering together. And that in many ways opened a lot of opportunities for questions and for more teaching. So in that, to me, that whole story has become yet richer than it was in the past. And then when uh, Omar asks um, or comments on, and, and does ask, um, it drew my attention uh, as he was asking the question, how does it apply for today? Uh, when Enoch or Enoch joined the movie or the movement right away. Uh, and, and the comment there of how uh, our churches and our church leaders actually know that the church is sick. But then my question is, is the reason they do not have the courage to actively tackle a people who are so entrenched in their way of understanding the scriptures and we live in our own little bubbles and we do not allow ourselves to actually enter the pain and suffering of a people who we can hardly even understand their way of life and uh, we're so inured with images on the screen that they actually lost their impact. And we're afraid to actually enter into, I believe it's in Colossians that says, we want to know the power of the resurrection of Christ. But that second part of the verse, which says to fill up what lies behind the suffering of Christ, that is the tough one as I think, not just for me, but many others. And it's mm -hmm. really fear to tackle all those hard issues. Mm -hmm. And we cannot really uh, sympathize with people who we see on the news. So my heart just goes out to the political situation in Israel and Palestine and the pain that the people are struggling with every day, but I cannot really um, even identify fully because I've never been in that situation. Mm. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Editor, Omar, can I just say something? I mean, this passage especially speaks about the situation today because, you know, people cannot anymore sit under the vine or under their fig trees or, which is, you know, part of the fabric of their lives. I mean, and it is like in the vision of the prophet Micah, it is a vision of peace and tranquility and stability. And, you know, it's a beautiful image. Now they can't do it anymore because every day 
every day there are settlers who attack them under the protection of the Israeli army and they destroy their gardens, they destroy their vines and they enter sometimes into their rooms or write graffiti on their walls, uh, cursing them and threatening them. So this simple, very simple, everyday image of peace cannot anymore be enjoyed. And that's very, very sad. So thank you, Betty, for empathizing with us. And I, mean, I don't know whether we can explain how important this is that people, and I mean, the prophet Micah says, sitting under their vines, undisturbed, a very simple word, but this cannot anymore be done. Very sad. Um, Darren Myers. Thank, uh, thank you. And Cedar, thank you so much for your reflections on the verses and just for this comment as well. Uh, I can see why Sabil has lasted so long. Thank God for, for you and Samia and others in the Palestinian community. Uh, I was wondering this week whether my church that I go to would even refer to the uh, passage in Acts because it has that almost forbidden or misused word in our press about Gaza. Mm -hmm. And it, it's such a, an illuminating way that you brought out uh, what was happening there. And, mm -hmm. and, and it, it begs really for us to talk about Gaza today mm -hmm. and the terrible things that are being done to the people there by mm -hmm. this occupation. Uh, I also wondered, uh, what is that kind of fruit that we're to bear? What would the fruit look like? Is it fruit just that makes me look like a nice little guy or girl? <laughs> is it fruit that uh, is a very privatistic faith? Is it fruit that just utters biblical words without doing the biblical mm -hmm. uh going out into the world or where there is pain and suffering and speaking mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. uh, what is that fruit like? What mm -hmm. are the fruit that we're, is it just to be good little boys and girls? Uh, what is that fruit like? And then lastly, uh, Jesus in that passage uses a very interesting construct. Mm -hmm. uh, it's in the Greek, ego eimi. Mm -hmm. I myself am. And that was a construct used only for the person of God herself or himself. And so Jesus is making quite a statement when he says, I am. It is a very strong statement about the authority of Jesus, the one who laid down his life and calls us to lay down our lives in discipleship. Mm -hmm. Take up your cross daily and mm -hmm. follow me. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Thank you there. Thank you. That was very helpful. And I think, you know, the story in Acts when Philip did something new when he yes. dwelt in, in Christ, because, you know, until this day, um, it's difficult to go out to, uh, like he went to the Samaritans. This was not never done before. And the Samaritans did not even come to Jerusalem to worship. They believed that the holy mountain is in Samaria. But John, uh, Philip, and later Peter and John followed him. So they ventured. They had that power and that grace and that spirit in them that they tried something new. So I think that they, we can think of them as branches dwelling in the vine. And the fruit was a very courageous kind of thing that they did to go out to a different people, you know, to, to aliens, like the, the, the Ethiopian, the Ethiopian is an alien, but Philip went down on this desolate road to Gaza and uh, brought him to the way. So I think this we can consider as the fruit, the fruit of dwelling in Christ. Thank you. Um... I'm still looking for people to um, to participate. Sorry if I missed somebody.
Omar, let, while you are waiting for people to, to join, let me just say one thing. While reading this passage about the vine and the, in, the mutual indwelling, it reminded me of the words of St. Paul, which I really like very much, in whom we live and move and have our being. And this is exactly what I thought of, what it means to dwell in Christ and Christ in us in whom we live and move and have our being. It is only then that we can ask in the name of Jesus. Okay. Yes, you may go ahead. You're on. Oh, I'm intrigued by the eunuch perhaps being the seed of the beginning of Christianity in, the, in Ethiopia. Yeah, uh, and has a very long uh, Christian history, as do the cops in Egypt. And uh, this is a very intriguing event. And uh, this is a man that had a great deal of authority. Unfortunately, we don't have a follow-up of what happened when he got back to Ethiopia, whether he convinced the queen and the other royalties and the people uh, and to learn about Christianity. But it's a very intriguing concept, I think. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Donald? Yes, I'm on the same line, actually, as Darlene there. I've been wondering about this Ethiopian and what he took back with him to Ethiopia. I mean, that was a quite a journey. He was obviously a um, person of some substance and influence, but how do you convey that? I mean, he'd been baptized, so he was in a sense, part of that integral to that vine now. And he, he was going to proceed with that having been baptized feeling uh, or experience of now belonging to a, a group which were, you know, just beginning to form themselves into something. But I think it's very intriguing. Uh, it's sort of, wants to, it excites my, my imagination as to what he actually did when he got back home, as it were, or when he was in the court of the queen and all that, what, I wonder how he come, and this is the, the question for me of the Christian who is isolated and, and uh, hearing about the diminishment of the number of Christians in the Holy Land and uh, mm. many places in the Middle East where Christians find themselves more and more isolated. And I wonder what that experience is like, how you, how you uh, get to feel that you're part mm. of a, a company. I dare say mm. this exercise that we're a little bit involved with here certainly gives me a sense of being part of something bigger than my local church and its mm -hmm. quite local perspectives. And I find that an absolute treasure, but I don't think the Ethiopian had that uh, possibility of zooming. So how mm. How did he operate, I think, as, yes. a, as an isolated yes. Christian? That yes. seems to be to be uh, something quite pres pressing yes. now in, in uh, yes. certainly the Middle Eastern part of the world. And in certain parts, even in the, you know, the rich uh, European countries where Christians find themselves, you know, my, you know a really substantial minority. And I'd yes. like to think about that a bit more, about how that Ethiopian managed to keep his link Mm. Uh, with 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 the brethren. Yeah, Omar, may I say something? Yes, uh, yes, please go ahead. Um, let me let me just say that Sabil, part of the program of Sabil is to go into the north part of Samaria, biblical Samaria, which we call the West Bank, like Nablus and Jenin and and the villages around where in some villages there's one family, one Christian family left. In other places, there's one Christian, one person, a Christian person left. Because the Christians, like everybody else, but because of our small number, they are immigrating or moving to the, to the bigger towns, to Ramallah, where they can find work. I mean, there's, unemployment is very high in the West Bank. I don't know over how much, Omar, maybe you know. And uh, many Christians have left their towns or their places of birth in the north of um, of the West Bank and moved to Ramallah. So we find that in some, like in Tulkarim, Tulkarim is a big city. There are no Christians left. 
But Sabine, every year when we were able to move around, I went there and visited those Christians and encouraged them and found them uh, very strong in their faith and holding on to their faith, you know, uh, very, very loyally and very strongly. And there's a village where Jesus healed the, the lepers, the, the, the 10 lepers. And there's a church there in Burqin. What's it called, Omar? In the village. Sorry? The, the, the church of the 10 uh... lepers. Yeah, but what's the village called? Burqin. Burqin. And, and there are how many? Omar, you will remember how many Christians are left there. But there's a strong there Christian. There are 70 youth. people. There are 70. Oh. Yeah. In, in yeah. But as you said, they are now feeling isolated and there are no young people because the, the young parents, the young couples move out to look for work and some, many of them go to the Gulf. And so there are no children being baptized there. It's a very sad situation. But Sabine uh, does something about it and we remember them and go and visit them and encourage them. Um, we have time for one more person, um, Ginevra. Uh, um, thank you. I, I just wanted to comment that I, I felt that the, the eunuch <coughs> saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. I just, I think that he was so happy that he didn't even notice that <coughs> Philip was gone. So I, I just thought that was good. I'm sorry, my dog. Mm. <laughs> wants he wants to jump. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but tradition has it that he went back and that he baptized the queen of Ethiopia. I don't know. I mean, this is not in the Bible. But as I was preparing to, for this, I read it. The tradition has it that he went back and he became a missionary himself like um, like Philip and he baptized the, because he was a high-ranking official and in charge of her the treasury of the queen of Ethiopia so tradition has it that he did baptize her and then from there on Christianity spread um, I think the time is up on the cedar okay um, Mary Claire is it okay to help me with the way of prayer, please. This week's Kumi Now considered the threat of censorship and violence suffered by Palestinian journalists, as World Press Freedom Day was remembered on Monday, the 3rd of May. Next week, Kumi's now online gathering will focus on the U.S. support for Israel. The vast amount of U.S. military support for Israel is used to harm Palestinians living in the Holy Land. Um, Mary Claire, I don't think, uh, I think there's a problem with the mic. Lord, can you hear me now? Yes. Lord, we pray that leaders around the world um, I think we're having problems, um, Mary Claire. Um, may I ask um, um, Elizabeth, would you be happy? Um, are you able to help us? Uh, this is out, but I'll, I'll, I'll do it. Lord, we pray that leaders around the world will consider their arms sales and the havoc and oppression caused by the use of their weaponry. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. In one of the worst disasters in Israel's civil history, at least 45 people reportedly died and more than 150 were injured in a stampede at a Jewish holy site in, the nor in northern Israel. The stampede apparently began when a walkway collapsed, with tens of thousands of people at the site. Dear Lord, we hold all the families of the victims 
in our prayers as they mourn the loss of their loved ones. We also pray for the speedy recovery of all who were injured during this disaster. We give thanks to all the medical teams who work courageously and tirelessly to save the lives of the injured. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. On Wednesday, the 21st of April, the Palestinian Museum announced the launch of a second phase of its digital archive project, which will be published by UCLA. The three-year project will digitize 180,000 archival items. These items will record various aspects of Palestinian social history from the 1800s to, to the present day. Lord, we thank you for this innovative project which will keep alive the identity and precious memories of the social and cultural Palestinian heritage. Lord, in your mercy, hear, hear our, our prayer. prayer. In the month of March, the World Health Organization reported that a 70-year-old woman was among four Gaza cancer patients who were denied Israeli travel permits to cross the Beit Hanun Ares crossing into Israel to receive treatment in East Jerusalem. Lord, we pray that the Israeli authorities will show compassion <laughs> and face international legal obligations to grant travel permits to Gaza patients and their carers. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We join with the World Council of Churches in their prayers for the countries of Afghanistan, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Mongolia, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, and Uzbekistan. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. As we move into the time of silent prayers, please let us remember all of the people who are suffering from COVID-19, the people who are still waiting to get vaccinated, and especially for the communities, in the Palestinians in Gaza, and the people in Jerusalem, especially the people of Sheikh Jarrah. Lord, in your mercy. Hear Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy on us. Forgive us our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life. Amen. And may we together see the Lord's Prayer in the language um, that we, um, we prefer. Thank you.
May we together see the love, uh, the agape greed. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It does not keep a record of wrongs. It does not celebrate injustice but rejoices in the truth. Love never gives up, never loses, loses faith, always hopes, always endures. Love cannot be conquered. And let us together see the words of the grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Let us go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.